Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boss Barista. How are you? I'm doing great. That was really creepy. I'm like <laughs> sitting back in my chair, like got my, my arm like like wrapped around it, like come hither. <laughs> I'm ready to possess you. <laughs> I'm going to eat your soul if you come any closer. I wish I could do that. I wish I could eat souls. I feel like we at least drink tears. <laughs> we... <laughs> We've accomplished that. So many, so many fragile male tears. Mm -hmm. Uh, Welcome to, I guess, one of our milestone episodes. Uh, We've been doing Boss Barista for almost a year now. We've been talking about it for almost a year. And we have been actively putting out episodes for six months. We started putting out episodes. More than that. February February 1st. Mm-hmm. So oh, two, eight. Oh, eight months. I Woo-hoo! forgot how to do math, apparently. But when you get this, it might be nine. It might be 18. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but we wanted to reflect back on what we've done at Boss Barista, what we've learned at Boss Barista, and kind of honor where Boss Barista came from. Um, Boss Barista was born out of this one really amazing interview that I did with Jasper as part of Portafilter that we kind of co-opted as our own and we released as our second episode, Ambitious. Um, So we wanted to reflect on our time here by interviewing each other almost um, and asking each other questions about what we've learned and the things that we still continue to struggle with. Um, I think for the most part, we've been pretty open with with our listeners about ourselves and our past and our lives, but... There's always more to share. There's more that informs the reason that we do what we do. And there's more that informs, you know, our perspectives on coffee. Let's dive deeper, shall let's, we? Let's, let's dive right in. I'm going to start first. I'm gonna, and I want to ask you a question because um, I feel like something that makes us really different is your perspective on San Francisco versus mine. Um and I think that a lot of it has to do with like your sense of home that you've created here. And I imagine that has a lot to do with where you come from, for mm-hmm. example, and like your background. So um, I don't know if we've really detailed you and where you come from because it's it's come up a little bit. It's come up a little bit with like your family background. And I know then episodes before you've mentioned changing your name and some of that has come up. But I wonder if you'll tell us a little bit more about where Jasper, where Jasper Wild comes from. Yeah. So I was born and raised in San Jose, which isn't that far from here. Um, and that could be a big reason of why San Francisco feels like home, even though I'm not from the city. It's very close and shares a lot of similarities. Um, but I... Oh, where do I want to go first? So... I um, grew up really conservative and in a evangelical um, Christian upbringing slash maybe cult, if you will. I was homeschooled to protect me from the from the terrible secular school system that's going to pervert my brain with things like evolution and sex ed. Um, so I've definitely had a lot of coming into my own over the years after I moved away and um, started doing my own thing. My 
I think I'm very thankful for my own coming out to myself happened after I left the church and did not identify as Christian at all, did not agree with it, um, actively felt like hurt by a lot of the ideologies that are pushed forward. And that was really good for me because many people who view themselves as Christian and then have to grapple with being gay sort of, I find like have more shame around it and have to sort of struggle with like, should I choose my Christian family? Should I choose this part of myself that I has a lot of unknown to it? And is Um, that because they're still in the church and they have to grapple with coming out in those confines? Yeah. Yeah. And, and knowing that the church won't accept them and knowing that they will seek to change them. Um, And sometimes it's not even coming out. It's just like, trying to figure out how to not be gay so that you can stay in the church. That's what some gay people have said they've struggled with. But fortunately for me, I was so clueless to my own sexuality that I didn't even know until after I'd figured out my spirituality. What were your first kind of steps into stepping outside of the church? Were there any pivotal moments for you or How'd you, how'd you like even start to conceptualize a life outside of that? I, well, I went to a Christian university in Texas that was really, really conservative and had things like dress codes and curfews and um, codes of conduct that included like not having sex at all, not having any like queer thoughts <laughs> ever <laughs> or definitely acting on those um not drinking alcohol like things like that even if you were over 21 and i started to you know it was actually it might have been a little bit of starbucks that helped me out because i met so many different people at starbucks and i got to see so many different customers and although it was in a rural-ish part of Texas, uh, and there were, were a lot of other Christian people, I saw how other people expressed themselves and how they carried around their own morality instead of waiting for the church to decree it or to give them the answers to something. So spending time with with other people probably helped me think this, you know, there is a way to live life that makes more sense. Um, and just the the contradictions that the church had about so many different issues were ridiculous. And I felt really dissatisfied when I tried to figure out the way forward, like their policy on how they wouldn't allow a pastor to keep being a pastor if he had divorced his wife the only reason that he still could be a pastor is if his wife had cheated on him and it wasn't his fault. And yet like they would, didn't allow women to be pastors. It was just like all this, this like really detailed weird sexist stuff that when pushed on the matter, nobody had any answers for. So you leave. Did you finish that university or you left? I did. That's I, I always finish things like even if you have a degree in 
I have a degree in counseling. I did not know that. You didn't? No. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you always finish things. I always finish things. Like I finish a book that I hate just because it's like, I have to finish it. When I was a, a little kid, I would always try to finish my um my colored pencils and I would I would like color I would color a dress brown when I didn't want it to be brown because I wanted all of the the pencils to go down at the same time. So uh, I have some issues and it doesn't it doesn't always help me. <laughs> it does not always help me to be like I have to finish this because I was really really unhappy and I hated um everything about that school and how I was forced to behave and the last year I was able to um, lie and say that I was taking care of a sick family member off campus so that I could live alone with my boyfriend, by the way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who'd you meet this boy? Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Starbucks. Starbucks should really sponsor this podcast. Apparently. <laughs> Thanks yeah. Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We would like flirt and stuff at the store. And then we started sleeping together and I didn't really want anything serious. And then like I went on a date with somebody else and he got really upset and then he didn't want to see me. And I was like, oh, I don't want to, but I still want to see him. So I was like, you know, we can, we can be official or, or something. <laughs> how, how old are you at this point? Um, 19. Oh man. Okay, so you're li so you finished school. Yeah. You're still living with this guy? No, I um I finished after I left Texas. So the my last semester, I was supposed to do an internship and I got an internship at this it was awful. It was a psychiatric hospital and I couldn't do it. I only went one day. And it was like it was awful. It was like a, it was a prison pretty much for people who were in mental health crisis or in mental health fog because of the medication. And, um, my job would be to like monitor and fill out paperwork for suicidal patients. Um, and I was kind of like, uh, okay, this is not, this is not what I'm, this is, I do not want to do this part of psychology at all. So I didn't finish my internship and I didn't get my, I didn't get to graduate when I was supposed to graduate. So I ended up leaving to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where the boy went. So his name was Jake and he was a year younger than me and he would get fired from things all the time. And whenever he would get fired, he would like very immediately like go find another job right away. And he got fired from somewhere and he was like, I'm going to move to Tulsa and like work with my uncle in an optometrist office. And I was like, whoa, okay. He's like, you should come with me. I'm going to go in like two days. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he was like, you can come at the end of the week because of the way our rent was worked out. He was like, you don't have to even pay for another month. You can come at the end of the week. I was like, no, I have to give notice. I have to like figure out what I'm going to do. I have to like. I don't know. I don't know. So, but I ended up doing it like a month later. I stayed for a month and then, so I went to Tulsa and I was there for three months and I didn't do my homework because Tulsa has snow. 
<laughs> and I hate the snow. <laughs> um, and it was really, really cold that year. And in Tulsa, I met all these lesbians, all these lesbians. And now, like going back, they were like, yeah, yeah, we knew. Because they would say things like, so are you vegetarian or anything? <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, it also wasn't working out with Jake at all. He, We were not communicating well. And um, I was growing more and more liberal and being more outspoken. And he, in a weird turn, was kind of like becoming really patriotic and like thinking about the army and thinking about the Bible. And I was like, take it from me. That's not the way forward. There's mm. so much out there. Um, so we were really disagreeing. So I left um, pretty quickly and moved out to California. And so I didn't technically graduate until I was here in California for like a year or so. And I got an internship at a um, foster care uh, organization. So I was like a social worker intern kind of thing. And that was way better because then we were just working with kids and I was helping kids with schoolwork, but I was like also doing paperwork and that was tragic too. But I really was like, I can do this because uh, this piece of paper will have meaning in my life. So all I have to do is a hundred hours and I did them. Mm -hmm. So you moved to, was this the point where you moved to Santa Cruz? I moved to, to Mountain View first and then I moved to Santa Cruz. But mm -hmm. Santa Cruz is when, when I actually had the energy and time and resources to get this done. All right. So then you moved to Santa Cruz. Yeah. And this is when like, it like, like, Jasper 2.0 kind of starts to happen, right? Pretty, yeah, I guess so. Um, it really kicked into higher gear when I I kind of like moved through the crisis of coming out as queer. So when did that happen? That uh, it took so long. It was like 21. All of the whole year that I was 21. Mm-hmm. Because you said it wasn't a, like a one moment. For Not you. at all. It was definitely like. It was like, I think this is how I think this is how I feel. But how do I know if I haven't tried it? And what if I'm not? What if I like say I'm gay and then I'm not like then everyone is going to say that it's a phase, which is what everybody already says. And I didn't want to give them that satisfaction. Um and I was also still sleeping with men because I like sex, but I also <laughs> did not like it. I didn't know. I didn't have much to compare it to. And I was afraid that it was like, if for me having sex with men was easy and uncomplicated, but figuring out how to like be in a relationship with a woman to like, love and respect them which well that part was already easy i already knew i i loved and respected women but i didn't know if i could be in a relationship with them or if i wanted to have sex with them so it was all kind of like tumbled up in one and i sort of started to feel and and acknowledge within myself that the way that i had relationships with men and slept with men was not did not feel good for me because i wasn't 
I didn't really love them. So I didn't really care for them. And I didn't care about them, really. So, I mean, with my ex, I, I did care about him. But after my ex, I didn't care about how men felt. Um, and that wasn't, that wasn't very nice. So I stopped doing that. <laughs> that that's probably the right move. Yeah. So you, so, so I stopped doing that. Yeah. So and then, then 21's coming out. 21 was coming out. I was also smoking a lot of weed and that was like kind of deadening some of my emotional capacity in a way. It was definitely a numbing coping mechanism after all that I'd been through, like in Texas and stuff. So it took a while for me to cut weed out. And that actually was um, thanks to some people at Verve who told me that I could cup coffee better if I stopped smoking weed. And they were right. Oh, how funny. Yeah. That's, I like that that's what, that was the motivator. <laughs> yeah, that was the motivator. So I stopped smoking weed and I became like manic for a week because <laughs> I was drinking like seven shots a day or something and tone that, tone that way down. Mm -hmm. um, but my name change didn't occur until I was like feeling not empowered when I introduced myself. And I felt like I would mumble my name and it would be like not as not strong, like not proud and people would mishear me. So I decided to change it and I knew that I was going to change it for a, a couple months, like a whole summer. I was like, I'm going to change my name just so you know, everybody. And I was, you know, making a joke out of it. Like, what should my name be? And starting that conversation and I had this like app on my phone that you could basically open it and then you could like draw a crystal of the day and like it would give you um, like insight or the path forward. And I drew a crystal and Jasper came up and I was like, oh, that's my name. That's totally my name. Oh, just clicked. Yeah. I was like, that's it. That is it. And it was. And Jasper is like a very mutable stone. So it like connects well with a lot of other stones, um, which I think I go well with a lot of different kinds of people. Nobody says like, oh, Jasper, she's um, hard to work with. Like, no, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm a collaborator. I work well. But and then there was also a like nurturing quality to it. Jasper is like a earthy sort of stone very grounding um very nurturing very supportive and i think that speaks to some of who i am too and it was a freaking crystal that didn't sound like a hippie name <laughs> and i wanted a like something that sounded like the earth or something that was that was hippy dippy but i did not want it to sound like that because mm -hmm. i know i know people who are like sage or amethyst and um it just sounds like it. I knew that's not like something that I wanted to to have. Where does wild come from? I mean, it's Oscar Wilde, right? Was yes, yes. Wild comes from Oscar Wilde because as a kid, I was in drama a lot, and I participated in in dramatically playing out many of his plays. And he always spoke to me. His his writing spoke to me a lot as a as a kid who didn't have a lot of room to express herself. 
And it wasn't until I was older till I found out that he was like very famous and very gay. And um, that seemed really significant that I was so connected to him and that he was gay and I didn't even know because I didn't even know I was gay as mm-hmm. a kid. So Oscar Wilde was was someone I wanted to take his name and carry it on. And I have on my dad's side, I'm Italian. And on my mom's side, it's like American for a very, 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 very long time. And then after that, it's British. So I knew I needed a name that that was either Italian or British. And like, that's it. And since it was Jasper, I toyed around with some like Italian last names, like from my family, like, but it's, I sounded like, um, just someone from the mafia, like <laughs> Jasper Ronaldo, Jasper Melchione, <laughs> Jasper Spigatoni, <laughs> like just, it was not, it didn't not, work. Yeah. No, it did not work. So, um, wild is like British and a little Irish, which I'm not, but. Well, I just love how significant it is to like your your childhood and Mm -hmm. then like coming all together. You're like, wait, I had no idea he was this like famous like Mm -hmm. gay playwright. playwright. Yeah. So it's cool that that all comes together. And Jasper Wilde does really roll off the tongue. It does. Jasper Wilde, Oscar Wilde. Yeah. They both sound really great. They do. So, So then what happens after that? So you change your name. I changed my name. You're still in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. Managed to date a woman. <laughs> I think you told a story at a Bay Area coffee community. Yes. <laughs> storytelling event. There, yes. We, we host these storytelling events, and one of the ones we did was about customers. And I think Jasper got up, and she goes, the last time I slept with a man, or like... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is that, is that the story? Yes. <laughs> you want me to tell us? I kind of want you to tell the story. Okay. The, the, <laughs> so the last man I slept with before I started dating women was, um, this customer seeing a theme here. <laughs> Crushtimer. Crushtimer. Yeah. Or it, yeah. Um, and I was working at Starbucks and his building was the building across the street and he lived on the fourth floor and there was a skylight above the bar. So um, when he opened his window in the morning, I could see if he was awake or not. And it became this like funny and eerie like stalker joke that I would make. I'd be like, it's 830. He's not awake yet. And then, you know, it would open. I'd be like, he's up. It's morning time. And he came in one day. The first time I met him, he came in. He wanted like grounds. Um, I was like, oh, do you have a garden? He's like, no, I grow shrooms. And I was like, oh, okay. That's interesting. And I found out where he worked. And I went to his uh, place of work. Tiavana? No, no, no. It wasn't T. It was some Tia something. T something in Santa Cruz. And it was so easy. This is what I'm talking about. So easy with men. So he... (laughs) So he, um, I just like got some tea and I like laughed and flirted a little. And he's like, Hey, like I'm off in two hours. Like want to hang out? I'm like, sure. (laughs) And he, um, he like took me upstairs to the room that I had been scoping out for like, it wasn't that long. It was like a month or two. And it was kind of a joke, 
But when I got up there, he like, he didn't have anything. He just had like, like a blanket on the ground then like a mini fridge and he really didn't have anything. And we, like, it was obvious we were going to like hook up or something was going to happen. But he, um, he said like, oh, like, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to have some ketamine. Like, do you want some? And, and I was like, no, <laughs> no, thanks. Um, so he like does a couple lines of ketamine and we're like talking and then we end up making out. Um, and ketamine, if you don't know, is horse tranquilizer. So if you get a little bit, you start to feel kind of like drunk, but without the spins. But then you take a little more and you go what's called a, a K-hole, which is like a meditative, like trancey sort of state. But it looks like you're just kind of passed out. So um, he obviously had about that much, the K-hole amount, because he kind of like dozed off as he was going down on me. <laughs> and it was <laughs> it was just one of those uh, times where I was like, this is this is not fun. <laughs> so that I, well, so then we fucked around for like two more months, and then I stopped <laughs> seeing him. Because <laughs> you stopped seeing men. Yeah. Wait. Well, who's the customer that you have? Who is the? Because this is at the same time there was like a woman coming into your cafe that you were like. So that was about a year later. Oh, it was a year later, or two years later. Sometime later. So that was at Starbucks. I thought you told the, the story together. Oh, no. I, it was like, here's the worst experience I've had, and here's the best experience I've had. Okay. So the worst experience was that guy who grew shrooms and did too much ketamine. And <laughs> and the best was um, when I worked at Verve. It was it was a year later, yeah. I um, This woman kept coming in. She was super cool. And I also, fun fact, love East Coast women exclusively. So <laughs> that's like she just had this New York vibe, like such a New York vibe. And I was like, ah, who's this? And um, we talked and flirted for like a couple months before I um, we were like making a joke. I was like, oh, I finally graduated. And she was like, great. I finally like moved into a house. I was like, I should have a graduation party. And she was like, I should have a housewarming party. And I was like, okay, we're going to plan these parties. And we're going to each going to go to each other's house. Like, ha, 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 flirt, flirt, flirt. Here's your cappuccino. Okay. And she would read the New York Times in the window. So precious. <laughs> and so we had these great big cookies called Mary's Cookies. And her name is Mary. And one of them broke. And so I made a little, little like arrangement of half a broken mary's cookie a little macchiato and my phone number and i went up to her and i said hey like even if we don't end up having these parties um i think you're rad and i think you should you should text me or call me and we should hang out and she looks at it and she looks at me she goes oh you're trouble and i was like oh my god she likes it and um it took her a little while to to call me and I in fact she went to the uh, a different verve to kind of she wasn't ready to respond to my advances little did I know she was going through a pretty big breakup and um needed to figure that out but 
I, were, I was actually working at the other store. So we oh. ran into each other again. She's like, what are you doing over here? I'm like, what are you doing over here? And she's like, I just wanted to get coffee over here. Um, but yeah, she ended up reaching out to me and then we started dating. And then I changed my name as I was dating her, um, which is kind of was kind of fun for everyone involved. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a. I mean, it must have not been that bad. It was. She was. She was a little like, but that's not how I know you. Um. Yeah. She kind of had like a harder time with it than I thought she would. But then after, like, a month, she she got it. So reflecting back on boss barista and all of the episodes that we've done i wonder what are some of your favorite episodes Ooh, my favorites i really am proud of the gentrification episode that we put out that that one felt really good and really um polished i think the liz dean one is really fun um i also really like the oppression olympics yeah, I think that's one that got a lot of people really like fired up and interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I think the gentrification one might be like the most, I don't want to say risky, but I felt it was the one that we like pushed ourselves the most on to like really think outside of I think what the, we'd been hearing. Yeah, the end, the end of it all, like the closing statements, if you will, seems like if we had started with that, like, coffee shops shouldn't open anymore (laughs) i don't think people would have listened but because of the storytelling and the history and the politics and the statistics then it came up with like well what other way is there right you just can't do this anymore yeah that that one was a hard one and i think it was kind of nice to do that together and kind of realize that as we were going Mm -hmm. because i that that didn't we didn't plan that Mm -hmm. we didn't plan for that to be the end but Mm -hmm. we're talking and we're going through everything and it's like oh Mm -hmm. hmm, Mm -hmm. this isn't great Mm -hmm. um what are some of the biggest things you've learned i've learned that some the people that say that they're supportive might not truly be supportive and that what do you mean by that i mean um that it's really easy to say like i agree in the equality of all all genders but when it comes to putting that in real life uh people are often less likely to be self-aware of like how their their interactions with others impact the power struggle so no i'm following you so i've learned that we have there's like not many not many of us are immersed in uh feminist theory <laughs> and that if we really seek to change things on like a profound level, we should be immersed in that. And this podcast might be the only avenue that people have for their anti-racist thought or, you know, how to be the best misandrist out there. <laughs> but I'm going to yeah. put that on a business card. Yeah. Best misandrist out there. Mm-hmm. Are there moments that you felt embarrassed or 
defeated or even like maybe this is a thing you don't want to do anymore? I think that when I feel upset is when I feel like everybody else is against me. So we've had moments where we've gotten like a lot of pushback. And even though I know we're saying things that are unpopular, it does make me feel like, no, but still like me. (laughs) And we've made some missteps where the pushback we've gotten has been good for us. And it's been good feedback as it hasn't been like men not wanting to give up their space in the patriarchy, but it's been like black women who have said like, Hey, you know, you're calling yourselves intersectional and yet you're not centering black women. And that's like, that's really hard to hear when you've, when you've failed the people that you want to support. So that's been like a huge learning moment for me, knowing how to like get better and better with my own activism. Yeah. What about you? What have been the hardest lessons I've learned? Mm-hmm. I think the one that you just touched on was a really big one um, that pushback is really important to get, especially from people who you feel who feel like you're not speaking to them and you you are kind of pretending like you are. Um, and maybe not pretending, that's not the right word, but when you're attempting to speak for a group of people who either you don't really have the right to speak for or you're misinterpreting what what they need. So that's been really difficult to, to hear sometimes um, because it's hard not to take things personally, even though they're not personal. And we've gotten a lot of feedback before that sometimes is really hard to hear, but it's not untrue and it's not wrong. And it's good that people feel comfortable enough, enough telling us that we hurt them. And I hope that people continue to do that because I guess I fear that there are still people that are being hurt that maybe don't feel that expression and that that makes me really nervous and another hard thing is feeling like you're you're working really hard and it's never enough that that's a big one yeah where I'm like oh but I okay so if somebody disagrees with them with me it's my responsibility to help them see I'm right right (laughs) or even just like seeing other people be really successful on one platform and seeing other people kind of being successful on a, like a different platform. Like I feel like sometimes we're in this like kind of weird, like middle muckiness that we're working really hard. I feel like that's like one thing I know about myself is that I work really fucking hard. Yeah, and do. sometimes I have, I feel like I get like caught up on both sides. Hmm. So that can be a little disheartening is to feel like no matter how hard I work, it's never enough. And that's a good motivator in some ways to know that there is always work to do, but it can also be really exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always had problems with that where you say you have problems like f- finishing things. I have problems saying no. Like I can't say no to people. If I think it's something that I can do, like I'll say, I'll say yes to it. And I'll... I'll sacrifice like doing everything like 120% for doing or doing one thing like 120% really well to do like a lot of things at 80 or 70% and even 80% is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that I've been struggling with to this day. Like I don't know how to say no to things and I wish I was better at that. 
What do you think your favorite episode was? Um, the gentrification one was the one I was the most proud of because it was the one that I felt was the most challenging to think about and said a lot about our industry. Um, I think my favorite interview, and mostly because of the conversations I had with this person beforehand, was with Tamika Lawrence. But I was, and I was also really proud of the interview we did with um, Danny Goot. I think those two were like the most important ones for me to be part of. And then Cami, Cami's was really great. Cami mm-hmm. McCauley was a really good one because it was one that I felt kind of the same as the gentrification episode had like a story arc to it. And we were like, wait, 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 where are you? You're telling this story and you're like, what? this is horrible. Like how we're all like, we're with you on this story, but like, what? what's going on? Ah, mm-hmm. so that was really cool. And I think that that was one of our, our better, better episodes as, as podcasters ourselves. Cause that's something, that's another thing is that we have gotten better at this. We're not great at it still and we're still learning. But even if you listen to like episode like two versus episode 27 that we just released, it's like, man, this is night and day. Yeah. Oh, and Lisa Nicely. That's a good one. That's one that I keep going back to for like theories and ideas. And I'm like, oh, man, like this is there's so much happening and there's so many layers. And something that she said is something I stick with. I even said it today to somebody that um knowledge and um, expertise on women is seen as threatening, which is really hard. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Let's shift gears a little. I want to ask you about Tinder. Blah. (laughs) Blah. Do you swipe? Yeah. (laughs) I, okay. So something that Jasper asked me once (laughs) is... As a woman, as a straight woman who is a feminist and to the extent that I, that, that, you know, like we have this podcast, like we have this platform, we like regularly call men out for being shitty as fuck. Like as a feminist, like how do you love men? And I was telling Jasper once that being a feminist to this level has at least eliminated like 98% of men for me, mm-hmm. which is good in, in some aspects, but like really difficult in others. So like I'm on Tinder. Um, not now. I deleted it. I just got really sad. I was like, I can't Aww. do this anymore. I might redownload it. We'll see. Um, but I was on Tinder and I'll swipe for like every, like every hundred people I see and I swipe. Right. No, swipe left. Left is the bad one. Yeah. Left is like, I don't want to see you. Oh, right. Um, and then I'll swipe. So like you're maybe- 99 yeses and one no? <laughs> 99 no's and one yes. Okay, okay. Oh, God, that'd be bad odds <laughs> for me. Um, basically, I swipe. I swipe no if you're a CEO or an entrepreneur or you're mm. a founder of a startup. And then there are some oh. like male tropes on Tinder. And one of like, there's there's three big ones. Picture of you with an animal. Picture of you outside slash loving the outdoors. Everyone likes the outdoors. Everyone likes the outdoors. Don't say that you like the outdoors. Um, or three, having a picture of you with a kid, but you explicitly saying that it's not your kid. Like, oh, yeah. this is my niece. And I'm like, then what? <laughs> okay. Like, what a potentially good father. Exactly. I like, I get the signal you're trying to send out. Like, get I'm over yourself. <laughs> so... So I swiped, so I wrote this Tinder profile. It says, don't you even fucking think about it, scum. That attracted some, some, 
some gems. Um, but I got like a couple of people who I was like, oh, like this banter is kind of interesting. And there was this one guy who I was talking to via text um, and he was in L.A. And he was a- I was asking him about his L.A. trip. And he was like, oh, I just did this. And I hung out with the editor of Bon Appetit magazine. Whoa. And I was like, oh, didn't Bon Appetit magazine get into some trouble for like culturally appropriating like how to make pho like they had they made this video of this like white guy showing you how to make pho oh, yeah. and there are a lot of internet reactions and i like mentioned that to him and he's like i don't think you can culturally appropriate food and i was like oh okay he's like don't you know who the best mexican chef is it's rick bayless in chicago and he just like kept going on and on and on about how like sensitive everybody is to things and i was like you know that i host like a pretty radical feminist coffee podcast right and then i ended it i was like maybe we maybe maybe we shouldn't be talking anymore but can i just say do you really have to be radical to respect people no like i hate i hate that like if we are radical and we're saying like hey don't steal other people's um cultures and then sell them for money that's that's not radical. That's no, it's just not like radical. Being decent, right? But yet we're still on this like other end of the spectrum. I know what you mean. And People like, see us as radical, but right. I just wish that that like fearlessly seeing each other as human beings and allowing each other to like speak for their own stories, like mm-hmm. that's that's just being good that's just baseline right and i'm not trying to decide like what is culturally appropriate and what's not but it was just it was just i like literally mentioned it as a thing that happened on the internet mm-hmm. like oh didn't bon appetit just get in trouble for mm. all of this stuff because they did it was a big thing on the internet and a lot of people wrote articles about it and like this guy just did not handle it very well he got incredibly defensive and i was like oh cool like that's part of the 95 percent of men that i don't want to talk to anymore yeah. goodbye um so yeah so it's like i don't know difficult and then i went out on this one one tinder date i've been on one and i went out with the dude and he just talked the entire time and we we had like a fine time we met in the park and he brought his dog and i was like this is a nice date did he pose with his dog yes he did is that what that was one of my right well i was kind of like i want to hang out with this dog <laughs> And I did. I got to hang out with the dog. <laughs> That's so, great. <laughs> so I did. I hung out with the dog. We had a good time. And I was, but I was kind of like, uh, I don't know. Like he talked a lot. And like that's whatever. And I saw that he and I had a mutual friend. So I was talking to her about my date. And I, she was like, oh, you you went out with that guy? Like you were way too good for him. And I was like, oh, well. That's nice of you, but like I get you know whatever he's nice. I'd go out with him again if he asked me, because um, I thought he was just like nervous. But then he never, he never texted me again, and maybe, maybe he thought like I was too quiet. I don't know, because now I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like I listen to your blabber all day. Like what did you not like about me? Like I'm delightful. You and are. So I'm all right. <laughs> but they, uh, they like just made me like question all this stuff about myself mm-hmm. and i was like never mind forget it although i was at work i was at working at the the brewery that i'm sometimes at and my coworker and i this guy nico is also on tinder and we were talking about how hard it is to be on tinder so we both we switched phones 
And I was like, all right, I'm going to swipe on some girls for you. You're going to swipe on some dudes. And I was going through his and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many like really interesting women and like mm. so many beautiful women. And mm-hmm. I was like swiping left and swiping right and sending messages. It was fun. <laughs> and then Nico has my phone and he's just like, I am so sorry that this is what you have to look at. Yes. He was just like, this is garbage. This is garbage. Uh-huh. More garbage. More garbage. And I was like, yep. So yeah, dating's fun. Dating's great. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's awful. Men are terrible. This is just bad, especially in San Francisco where there's so many men. It's what, like 70 to 30%? Mm-hmm. Like it's 70% men to 30% women. Mm-hmm. And it's just... Of single available heterosexuals. Probably not like in general, right? Oh, I have no idea. But, oh God, the men here are awful. I've never, I've never had so much trouble dating as like being here. But, ugh. you. I know. Maybe I'll download Tinder tonight. Try it <laughs> again. I'll help you swipe around. You're gonna hate it. Yeah. You're gonna get so mad at it. I wanna just like read into the photos that they're posting. You will, and it will make you mad. <laughs> well, what was dating like for you in other cities that you have lived in? Like you've lived in Chicago, you lived in New York. I had a boyfriend throughout. Yeah, so I'm from Miami originally. I lived in Chicago. That's where I went to school. And I lived in New York right before I moved here. I've lived in the Bay Area for two and a half years. And I had this, I've always had like serious boyfriends. When I was in high school, I dated this guy who was 5'2". I'm 5'8". So imagine, imagine that. I can show you a picture later. It's on my Facebook. Maybe I'll even post it on Instagram later. <laughs> and it's me and my high school boyfriend and we're getting ready to go to prom and he's so much smaller than me. And it's just like this really Cute. funny, like it's it's just like, but we're both like so excited. Aww. And I have braces, I have braces and I have like bands in my braces that match my dress. It was silver. Oh, gross. I know, it's awful. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> it's awful. It's so bad. Um, but he was really wonderful in a lot of ways. He was somebody who inspired me to think a lot about the world around me. Like he was really into books. He thought a lot about college. He was a year older than me. And he went to this uh, like prep school in in Miami. I went to just like a public school in my neighborhood. And he was clearly like much more driven than anyone I had ever met. And he was applying to colleges and I was so invested in what he was doing that it inspired me to like do the same. And I probably wouldn't have applied to like the schools that I did or went to any of the schools or went to the college that I did without him. Um, And I don't know. It's funny to think about how people kind of retroactively affect your life Mm -hmm. because then he broke up with me in a letter. Oh, you want to know what the letter said? Yeah. Here's a list of stuff I want back now that I'm breaking up with you. It was like four days before my 17th birthday. Oh, no. I know. It was so sad. That's awful. <laughs> it was awful. Did you burn the whole, everything on the list instead? I don't remember what I did with the stuff on the list. I never gave it back to him. That's for sure. I was friends with his friend growing up, this guy, Mikkel. And I think I might have given Mikkel some of the stuff because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be seen as crazy, which yeah. is like such a ridiculous stereotype that gets put on women when they act when they have feelings and like Mm -hmm. are correct about their feelings right like Um, if you had burned it 
Right. Oh, I would have been called crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Or even just like being sad about the breakup. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I felt like I had to control my feelings and be really like hush hush about them. But then, then I went to college um, and I had another really serious boyfriend who actually just got engaged. So congratulations to Billy. Um, and Billy was just a great person. Like there's nobody I could have asked to be a better college boyfriend, but you know, like I moved, I left, I went to New York um, and he actually went to New York about a year later, but he's a great, you know, great person and someone that was really formative for me growing up. And then, then I dated this dude for, oh, then I was single for like a year in New York. It was my first year there. And I was just really lonely. I was teaching middle school. It was really isolating. And that was maybe one of the hardest years of my life, um, getting used to New York and also being single for the first time in a long time. Um, and then I met this boy at my very first coffee job. His name was Sean. And I just fell like head over heels, just like flat out smitten. I was like, this is the boy I'm going to marry. And he's so wonderful. And he was one of those people too. If you ever ask anyone who knew Sean, like what he was like, it was, he was like magnetic, like absolutely magnetic. But I didn't really recognize what mental illness looked like. And I didn't recognize that his manic episodes were that. Um, So he would be like, at 120% and be this amazing, just gregarious and so enchanting person. And then he would be completely on the other end. And I couldn't figure out why I always thought it was about me. And then when, Mm. when we broke up, um, it was freeing in this way that I didn't understand. And then I read this book, which is a terrible book, but it was the first time I'd ever heard someone talk about, um, mental illness in relationships. It's called the marriage plot. By Jeffrey... The Marriage Plot. 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 The Marriage Plot by Jeffrey... um, It was the guy who wrote The Virgin Suicides. He wrote... He's written all these amazing other books, but The Marriage Plot kind of sucks. It's not a good book. It's super, like, gendered and very strange, and it's one of those books that's written by a man about a woman, and you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, you don't... This doesn't... You don't know what women actually want. But in the book, the woman is dating this character. She marries him, um, and he is bipolar. And I was like, oh, oh, that's what that's what Sean had. Um, and he struggled with mental illness for a long time. Um, and he knew that, too. And I don't think he really 100% understood how to process it. But then, but then Sean died about two years ago, which was hard to stomach and still something I think about every day. That happened when I started dating the very last boyfriend that I had, um, who I moved to San Francisco with and we're no longer together. Um, and that that's when I really started noticing that like my gender politics were really kind of in, not really in line with the person that I was with. And not to say that this person wasn't supportive or didn't understand what gender discrimination could look like. But when we both got to San Francisco, I struggled really hard at, at my job. And I worked in a place that was incredibly gendered and I couldn't understand why, like I couldn't get a pay raise for taking on more responsibilities. Or at one point, like one of my bosses told me that the reason I didn't get paid as much as my predecessor was because I wasn't married. Like that had anything to do with anything. I was a better employee. I was a much more productive like person in that position. And yet, this person's marital status was more important somehow. And I tried to explain that to my partner at the time who was just getting 
you know, raise after raise and being promoted without having to try. And I was like, I don't understand how you don't see this. And I didn't want to disqualify or discredit his hard work, but I also felt like him not honoring the fact that I was being kept down, like also like doubly discredited my hard work too. It felt like he said I wasn't working as hard as he was. And mm-hmm. I knew I was. Um, but then we broke up a couple months ago and then, you know, the apps start happening when you're like, well, what else is out there? And you're like, oh, everything else out there is terrible. But I don't know. This has been a really interesting time in my life too because this is the first time I felt like I've been looking at potential partners and relationships and knowing the things that I need versus just kind of falling into it. You know, like, you know, those moments when you're like, oh, I just met someone and there was like electric and blah. And that's still important, but it's like, but what does that mean? Like, could we fundamentally actually be together? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. These are like the 10 things I need. Can you meet all 10 of these? Maybe not all of them, but like there are some kind of fundamental deal breakers now. What's on that list? (sighs) I think at least somewhat engaging with the world around them and understanding that there is bad stuff happening to people and that they take some responsibility in that um, and and being active in some, some manner. Um, I think being a good communicator is another big one. I will share all of my feelings like <laughs> at the drop of the hat and I'm pretty... They're, like I don't hide things. Like I feel like I'm just very like, I want to tell you every feeling I have and I don't... I don't understand people and I know that this is like not not on me to 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 condemn or anything but I, it's hard for me to understand folks who who want to keep a lot inside because I'm just like tell me what you want like I don't want to I can't figure it out I'm, I'm intuitive I feel like I understand I can generally pick up on things and understand what's happening around me but like I can't guess things like I can't just be like wait like what do you want mm-hmm um, I like to be no told things. Can. No one can. But like, I don't, it's hard for me to be, it's hard for me to be with someone who I feel like I can't just have like an open discussion with. So that, yeah, I think that that's on the list. Um, someone who likes to like drink wine and eat nice food. That would be nice too. Like people who tell me they don't care about food. I'm like, Oh, that's going to be a real about you. I don't care about you. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, like that's like a lifestyle choice. That'd be a really hard lifestyle to put together if you're like, I care about food and I want to eat nice food in my home and like cook things and your partner's like, I want, I don't care about that. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's like two things that are kind of hard to put together. Mm -hmm. So I think both on, on like a very logistical level, there's a lot of things I now know about myself. And then there's like the, you know, fundamental things about myself that I think I understand way more. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other questions for me? I want, you to um share some feelings you have about selena oh okay (laughs) we talked about this earlier so okay i have a lot to say about selena so i'm cuban as you know and a big thing that i've contended with especially doing this podcast is being being hispanic and knowing that's a part of my identity but yet not being hispanic enough for for some people but not being white enough for others so growing up there is this singer her name is selena quintanilla a lot of people know her and selena just embodies that idea she's like nada aquí or nada allá 
Um, and even I'm butchering that Spanish right now because I don't speak Spanish. I didn't grow up learning it. But my my whole family's from Cuba. All like both my parents were born there. And I've always like grown up with this sense that like I was never Cuban enough for my family. Like they called me La Gringa, which means like the white girl. And I grew up kind of with this like shame of not being enough for my family. But then I got to college and suddenly I was like the most Hispanic person anybody had ever met in their whole lives. Cause I went to a super white university. Um, I went to school in Chicago where like, it was just like a very like white privileged upper class group of people that I'd never, I'd never contended with before. Um, a lot of them went to like prep schools. A lot of them came from a lot of money. Even like my, my college boyfriends, like, told me he's like he was great again could not say anything uh bad about this guy but you know his family like was so like deep in certain certain fields and industries and one time we were we were both kind of on this like law school track and his aunt was like well i know this federal judge who would love to have lunch with you and i was like i like i couldn't Mm. even comprehend that i was like what how do you know this person um so I got to I got to college and I was like, oh my God, I'm like as Hispanic as Hispanic like these people have ever seen. And there was a point where I got into an argument with one of my my roommates and he was like, Well, you only got into this school because you're Hispanic. Like it, it like I felt like I couldn't be in either group. And it's something that I still continue to struggle with every day because there are certain privileges I have of being white passing. Like I don't look Hispanic. Um, but also not feeling like either group is really accepting of me. Like my last name's Rodriguez. If you don't meet me and you get like a resume from me, like Rodriguez is a big, is a big flag of being um, Hispanic or being Latino, which are different terms. And I think we've defined them on the, on the podcast before I use Hispanic um, for myself. Um, But I feel like with Selena, a lot of people have kind of made her into this trend like oh she's like this you know like people wear her shirts now and it's like a big thing to like mourn selena and i don't know that a lot of people understand like what selena represented to a lot of like young hispanic girls who like kind of didn't feel like they were part of any group like selena didn't speak spanish either um but she sang in spanish she was like the queen of tejana music and then she was crossing over into you know, English songs. And she has her one record that she released before she was killed. And I don't know. I feel like it starts with, starts with Drake. He has that one picture of him wearing a Selena shirt. And I feel like Mm -hmm. Drake understands Mm -hmm. because he also embodies two different dualities and um, two different backgrounds too. But like, you know, you see Drake wear a shirt and then suddenly everyone wants to wear it. But I mean, there has been always like a, a thing with Selena. Mm -hmm. And I've, first I was like really into this idea that people really liked her. And then I was like, nah, you guys don't get it. Like you don't get Selena. Like Mm -hmm. I get Selena. Mm -hmm. And it just started to kind of bug me lately that so many people idolize Selena. And it's like, why? And I was listening to this podcast. Oh, it's called, um, it's not cafe con chisme. Um, it's, um, darn. It's like a, but it's another similar podcast. I've been starting to listen to a lot more podcasts from, Hispanic and Latina groups because it's something that I've just like never really identified with as much. And I want to, I want to be part of that group more. And I felt like I've always been excluded from it. Oh my gosh, where is it? 
Um, but they taught, they do a whole episode about, about Selena. And it was like, Oh, I get you. Like you got, you guys, you understand me. You understand all the feelings that I have kind of surrounding her. I can't find what the podcast is called, but it's two, um, two Mexican American, um, folks. One's, one's a guy, one's a girl. Um, and they talk about growing up. Um, they both grow up in like in LA, um, but they're Mexican American and they talk a lot about their heritage and how they, they also feel like that saying like, nah, they or nah, they are, yeah. um, not from here and not from there. So I don't know. Selena's hard. I miss her. She embodies so much of like what I I've always felt growing up. Yeah. It's really clear. I and know. I, I think that that's such a shame that you feel that so strongly and that it's such a common sentiment to have. And yet you feel like excluded from this group. I think it's common for people who do embody two, two dualities of people who like Liz Dean and I have talked about it a lot too, where she is, um, she's half Korean and she kind of has like one foot in one, one door and one foot in another, um, which is, which is interesting. It's interesting when you get to decide where you belong. Like that's really cool where you get to decide what culture you identify with the most and what, what culture like really speaks to you. And it can be both and it can be both at different times, but it's, it's hard when someone else decides that for you. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think I struggle is when people decide for me what my identity is. Mm -hmm. And again, not like then there's the other part where like I have a ton of privilege because I am white passing. Mm -hmm. And like Liz is contended with that too, where she's like not, quite white passing all the time but she's half white and sometimes it's kind of it, it becomes like the the observer who gets to decide that mm-hmm. and that's that's hard because you never know what the person's going to decide mm-hmm. and again like i enter certain situations with like this hispanic kind of like crown on of like <laughs> oh rodriguez like blah 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 uh-huh. it's funny because like in the United States, like I come off as super white and I have like a lot of white passing privilege here. But when I went to England, I was asked multiple times, what am I? Because hmm. it was just so, like, I don't look like anybody there, which was weird. That's never happened to me before. And people were like, are you Jewish? I got hmm. that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um it was uh, like, and then like when I said I was Cuban, like that was like new for them. Like they never <laughs> like, they like didn't know what to do with that either because they had mm-hmm. never met a Cuban person. And like Rodriguez was a new, like was was foreign to them. Wow. So that was weird. I'd never, again, I'd never been asked more in my life what I was than when I was in England, which was weird. Mm-hmm. I wonder how, you said you're going to Italy? Yeah. I wonder how Italy will be. I feel like I probably, I get Italian a lot. Yeah. People say that. You'll probably look like you're from there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I, it's something that I struggle with a lot just because like, I don't want to deny the privilege that I've been given because of it. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want to shy away from claiming it as an identity. And that's hard. Mm Mm-hmm. So... I want to hear that's like a that's a story I want to hear more of. I want to hear from people who kind of struggle with that more. It reminds me of uh, bisexual people mm-hmm. who are often defined by the relationship they're in, and then when not in a relationship, are assumed heterosexual. Mm-hmm. 
and how that can be really difficult for someone who's maybe like a bisexual woman who's with a man or married to a man. Like mm-hmm. you can still be bi. Right. If you're married. Right. Like how do you claim that identity? Because people don't want to give it to you. Like right. people are like, but you're with a man. Like you're this. Right. Or like that was going back to what you said, like that was a phase. Yeah. Like I'm sure that that's something that people yeah. like to put a lot on women's sexualities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think um, with bi people, they they call it that they are like continuously coming out, always disclosing that they're bi just to to keep from being erased. I feel like I do that sometimes too, where I have to claim like my Latina identity so that it's not shoved under the rug. Yeah. And then like people will ask me if I actually am. And I'm like, what, what? Why would you make that up? Yeah, like why would I make that up? Like why would you, and why would you question it? Like, mm-hmm. like or like, oh, but you're just like half or something like that. And I'm like, no, no. Even if you were half, you would still be Hispanic. Right. And but yeah. I see what you mean. Right. So this is actually something I've thought about <laughs> in terms of having children because apparently when I turned 30, I became baby crazy. Um, but I really Hang like, in there. Uh, sure. <laughs> no, not that baby crazy, but I'm definitely a lot more sympathetic to people with babies. Uh, if I had a kid, I definitely want to give it some sort of like Hispanic name because I'd want that identity to be theirs more. Mm-hmm. If I could give them that identity more, mm-hmm. I'd like to, but I don't know that that's like, that's like one little iota of it. Hypothetical. Blah. <laughs> Get better on Tinder, dudes, and then maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe pose more with babies. And um, that's my niece. Get better bios. Yeah, come on. Don't everyone likes the outdoors. Everyone likes adventure. <laughs> don't uh, don't look for a girl who can keep up with you. Do not assume that's another big one. <laughs> like I'm looking for a girl that can keep up. It's like fuck you. Fuck you. Think you're girls probably are si- behind. Yeah, like you're probably sitting on your fucking ass like watching Netflix like the rest of us. Like <laughs> move on. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> girls have some tropes too. There's um using emojis. Okay. In their in their profiles. Another oh, yoga poses. Oh. And then um yoga poses. Oh, or being like a girl who like drinks scotch or can sling back her or can hold her whiskey. Guys gal. A guys gal. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That's a lot of what I saw on my friend Nico's Tinder. I was like, man, man, we're not doing, neither group is doing very well. Heterosexual men nor women. I wonder if, um, if that like idea of like, hey, like I can be tough too. I want to like throw around a ball and I can drink whiskey. If, if that's like their attempts to maybe disclaim, like, just so you know, I'm a whole person I have like variation and I'm not like a stereotype. I think I wish it were that. I wish people were so cognizant of, of the patriarchy that that was what it was, but it's because we become ingrained to hate ourselves and to think that masculine traits are better. Hmm. Cause I mean, five years ago, I probably would have said that shit about myself too, hmm. because we're so ingrained to think that like, these these certain behaviors that women have are less than yeah like or that like masculinity and femininity are groups that do not overlap at all so then if you are a woman and drink whiskey you're like whoa right like you can't just be a woman who drinks whiskey it's like i'm a guy's gal like 
and again, it's like this internalized shame we feel for our femininity mm-hmm. and internalized um, like rejection of, of it's like it's like of these like feminine tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's complicated. That's a lot. So Reclaim again, the fem. Guilty. No, I don't. That's why it's just there's, there's power in it. No, to reclaim the fem. Oh, yeah, sure. Just don't even fucking think about it, scum. But that's all it says. <laughs> anyway. Well, this has been fun. I know. I learned I learned so many things about you. I always learn something about you. I learned things about you. Oh, that was that was a good one. Um, if you have any questions for us, Jasper and I like interviewing our each other. Mm-hmm. This is fun. I think we plan on doing more of these in the future too. So ask us ask us questions. Maybe you don't want to hear from us at all. Maybe you're like, I hate this episode. Please get please, please talk about something else. You can also tell us that too. Um Podcast at gmail.com is a really good way to get in touch with us. You know what else? Everybody what? out there, what? you could also rate, review, and subscribe. <gasps> yeah. And that would be really cool because we are thinking about trying to get money so that we can keep doing this. <laughs> and ads are a good way to do that. And if more people subscribe, more people will want to advertise with us. Yes. Uh, and then we can bring you more episodes more often. Uh, yes. One of our biggest cost is is just making these episodes um i'm gonna spend let's 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 spend a minute thinking thinking the most important part of this of this organization nate guatney they nate makes us sound good he edits these podcasts he doesn't we don't pay him anything Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous because we don't have any money Mm -hmm. um because we don't make any money doing this but he is this unsung hero that you never hear from because he's behind the scenes editing, making sure that the podcast sounds good for you guys. If we have like an echo sound, he gets rid of that. If, if there's like a weird pause because like Jasper and I messed up a question, like he fixes that for us. And he's so great and so praiseworthy. Every time we produce an episode, he's like, you guys did a good job. And we're like, no, you did a good job. And it's just like a feedback loop of just over and over. Like you did a good job. So Nate, we can't do this without you. Thank you, Nate. We love you. And we uh, would be lost without you. Yeah. We appreciate it. So we'd like to pay Nate. (laughs) That'd be nice. He deserves it. (laughs) So please. Yeah. Rate, review, subscribe. Um, Subscriptions are probably the most powerful thing you can do. And all it is, is just like, clicking something on your your iPod app on your phone. And what's really cool too is that you'll get new episodes the minute we release them. So if you subscribe, like you'll look at your phone and be like, oh, a new episode of Boss Barista is up? Awesome. Or, I'm going to listen to it right after I finish hearing Rachel Maddow show. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I like that that's the, the, the world that you imagine our listeners to live in. That's the world I live in. <laughs> after Rachel Maddow, I'll listen <laughs> yeah. to Boss Barista. <laughs> After yep. Cafe Con Chisme, I'll, I'll listen to, to Boss Barista. Do you know yes. what Chisme means? No. Chisme is like when you when you tell, um, it's like gossip. Ooh. So like when you tell someone like, oh, like I have Chisme, like it's like, <gasps> oh, I have like, I have some juicy goss for you. Ooh. So, Spill it. Oh, yeah. I w- yeah, exactly. So like there's like all these funny memes from this group called uh, Me Too. And they like, it's like when someone has Chisme and then like, you drop everything like you're doing. <laughs> so, Cafe Con Chisme. I can recommend that podcast more. Okay, fun. Um, but yeah, get in touch with us. Rate, review, subscribe, send us an email. Get us on Instagram. Boss Barista Podcast. Thanks, y'all.
thanks for listening and thanks for listening to us get kind of like vulnerable for a hot second bye